Hi, this is Dr. John Ankerberg. I invite you to dig into God's Word today with my dear friend, the late Dr. Wayne Barber, as he leads you verse by verse through the Bible. Matthew chapter 5, Matthew chapter 5. And Ken, I didn't see you and your wife come in. These are my neighbors, live right next door to me. And I didn't know you was here until I sat down and looked at that angle. And I appreciate them so very much. Mr. and Mrs. Ken Aiken, who live next door to us. Are they any kin to you, darling and Gray? <laughs> we want to check this out. Y'all might be long-lost cousins or something. Matthew chapter 5. And we've been looking at the laws of discipleship as we've studied the Beatitudes together. And let's read together. I won't go over the same review I did this morning. We never will finish tonight, but let's just read the verses together. And seeing the multitudes, he went up into a mountain. And when he was set, his disciples came unto him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, we need to understand that word blessed, even though we're not going to cover all the verses in review. The word blessed means to have the nature of God. The Greeks used this word to describe their gods. We have the nature of God. For Second Peter tells us, as we've partaken of the divine promises, we've partaken of His divine nature. This word was also used by the Greeks to describe their dead. When a person would die, he would leave this world of sorrow and suffering and misery and enter a state of blessedness. And this is the word that's used to describe those who are disciples. Those who are Christians that have been indwelt by the nature of God. For that nature is so inward that the things around us, the external, cannot touch the peace that God gives in that nature. And then the third meaning of that word is to be fully satisfied. We don't need the things of this world to be satisfied. For we are complete in the Lord Jesus Christ. So, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Verse 4. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And we saw that this morning, that they shall see Him as Father. God the Father chose to reveal Himself as such through His, Lord, his Son, Jesus Christ. Then verse 9, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. I want you to know that out of a heart of, of purity comes peace. Did you notice that? Blessed are the pure in heart before he says, blessed are the peacemakers. James 3.17 says that that wisdom which comes from above, in Proverbs chapter 8, describes that wisdom as being the Lord Jesus Christ himself, is first pure and then peaceable. And we always know that when we are lining the actions of our life with the nature that we have with Him, that we know then that we're walking in a oneness and we have a pure heart. And when you have a pure heart, then you are at peace with God. Now the Beatitudes in verse 7, 8, and 9 could be called the Beatitudes of the abundant life. What are they? Mercy, purity, and peace. The Beatitudes of the abundant life. Mercy, purity, and peace. And where do they come from? From verse 6 which says, when we hunger and thirst after righteousness. Now tonight, let's look deeply into this verse, verse 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. The first thing I want us to look at tonight is a definition of the word peace. Now the word peace always refers 
to peace that is between man and God. Please remember that, or you'll not understand many of the contexts of Scripture where it, it speaks almost as if it's saying something else. We must know that peace is referring of the situation between man and God. And actually, that's the only real peace to start with, isn't it? It doesn't mean just to be at ease or to be at rest. Now, hang on to this. I got so excited when I was studying this, and oh, so many things just fit together as the Lord put this together in my mind. First of all, it means to join together. The word peace means to join together or to fit together. When two forces or two people are said to fit together, they are at peace. Now we heard a quartet singing tonight. Did you enjoy that? And they were all four different voices, but they were all fit together in harmony. And we would say that quartet was at peace for they joined together. They were fit together. We take rays of light and join them all together and it gives us our light. No real color to it, but there's light. And there's a merger of those rays which gives us that light. That light is at peace or fit together. Now, in human life, we would use different words to describe it. It would be balance or cooperation. A person, to be at peace, he would have to be a balanced person. Now, we know that man is body, soul, and spirit. For a person to be at peace, all three of these must be in harmony. To look after this physical and to neglect the spiritual denies any peace, for there's no fitting together. To go after the spiritual and to deny the physical, well, the same thing takes place. Obviously, for a man to be at peace and to have all these fit together, he must first of all seek after the spiritual. For didn't the Lord Jesus say this in Matthew 6 and verse 33, when he says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God, and then all these other things shall be added unto you. Peace is when there's a balance and a cooperation and a fitting together, a joining together. Now let's go back to the book of Genesis in our sharing tonight. We won't go back and turn for we've been through this passage so many times in the past few weeks. You could know that by heart. But we know in the book of Genesis, particularly in the first chapter, we find man and God absolutely at peace. Why? Because there's no act on man's part to act independent of God. They are in cooperation. They are at balance. They are fitted together. They are joined together. But man sinned and immediately began to act independently of God. What happens? He lost his peace. There was no more peace. Now there is war. Now there's something we need to understand about this. It's amazing how peace and war are, are, are really alike. They're very akin. For you see... Peace comes when we're fitted together. War comes when we're not and we act independently of the will of God. You see, the God who initiates peace also imposes war. And you've got to wage the right kind of war if you want the right kind of peace. And God waged war on sin. That sin which broke the peace between God and man. They were no longer fitted together. They were no longer in cooperation. They were no longer joined. And God waged war on sin and sent Jesus to do what? Bring peace back to man. Real peace. In Luke chapter 2 and verse 14, the angel came. Let's look over there in Luke chapter 2 and verse 14 and made an announcement about peace being on earth. Luke chapter 2 and verse 14. Uh, let's look at verse 13. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, what? Peace, goodwill toward men. Now the literal there is better said, 
goodwill or toward men of good belief. For only the people who believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, that He was our substitution for our, our sins upon the cross. He took our death upon Himself. Only those ever are the ones to have peace on this earth. He's not speaking of all nations living together in harmony. He's speaking of the peace uniting man and God being possible here on this earth. Romans chapter 5 and verse 1 says, Therefore, in being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, a man is not at peace unless he's joined with the Lord Jesus Christ. Have you discovered this? I've told so many times about my experience on the airplane going to Houston, Texas. It seems like uh, you probably heard it at least 20 times. But every time I think about this, I think about it. This man got on the plane. I said, God, I want to witness to somebody. And I heard him coming about 15 people back, just blowing off, cussing and everything. I said, oh, no, Lord, you're going to set him beside me. And God said, yep. He has a sense of humor. He did. He put him right beside him. The man leaned over me and his coat about smothered me. And he, he, he finally took his overcoat off and put it up in the top. Had his, had his briefcase, little sissy umbrella. And he sat down beside me and he said, what do you do? That's the first thing he said. What do you do? I said, well, I'm going to Houston, Texas to tell people about Jesus. What do you do? <laughs> he cleared his throat, looked at his boarding pass, hoping he was in the wrong seat. But he was in the right seat. He said, well, I sue railroads. Now, I thought that was real interesting, and I laughed. And I didn't think, uh, well, he didn't think it was very funny. He said, uh, I really do sue railroad. You have a railroad you won't sue? And I said, well, no, not this week. I don't know one right now. He said, well, I sue railroads. We have a law firm at Bel Air, Texas, and that's what we do, go all over the country and handle railroad suits. Well, we got to talking. No, he got to talking. It's a two-hour and ten-minute flight all the way to Houston, Texas. For, for one hour and ten minutes, he talked my left ear almost off my head. He would not let me say one word. You know why? Sure you do. He knew what I was going to say. And he just kept talking and talking and talking. I tried to fake going to sleep, and I couldn't do that. I'd say, uh-huh, uh-huh, is that right? Yes, sir, uh-huh. Oh, that's nice. And finally, he looked over at me, and he said, listen. He said, uh, are you uncomfortable? And I really believed then that God was doing a work in his life because my knees were up in my you know, ears anyway. They don't make planes for my size person. And I said, yeah, I am. I'm sitting in the middle of three seats in a little DC-9. He said, well, let's swap places. So we swapped places. Well, I stretched out. And then he said, preacher? I didn't tell him I was a preacher. Isn't it interesting that only preachers talk about Jesus on airplanes? That's what's wrong with the church today. He said, preacher, he said, uh, let me be honest with you. <laughs> now, you don't know what went through my mind. I thought, well, if you've been lying to me for an hour and ten minutes, it'd be nice for you to be honest with me for a while. He said, but first of all, let me show you something. I opened up his wallet and good night. I saw that great old big thick compartment in his billfold. It was green and I knew what was in there. And uh, that old human nature of mine rose up and said, hmm, hmm. Wonder what those things are, ones or tens. Now, if you see a bunch in my billfold, you know they're ones. And it's fun to put them all in there at one time. You know, you have $20, you look like you're a millionaire. And so we had him, and, and he said, uh, I want to show you a picture of my family. So he showed me a picture of his family. In the background was this marvelous house, swimming pool, all this kind of stuff. Then he said this. He said, I make $75,000 a year after taxes, and I don't have to hit a lick. And my human nature whispered in my mind saying, Whoo, he's got problems? <laughs> and I was just really wondering what his problem was. He said, but I've got one thing to ask you. And I said, what's that? He said, I can't go to sleep at night. I have absolutely no peace in my heart. I have made it in life. I have money. I have family, success. But I don't have peace in my heart. Oh, listen, when that angel made that announcement, it was saying something far beyond you and I getting along with each other. It was saying that we can have peace with God and that's real peace in this earth. When we landed in Houston, Texas, and the flaps were coming down, 
And I love to tell this. I've told this many times, but I love to tell it again. I had, I had a brand new Christian life New Testament in my back pocket. And uh, the Lord was saying, Wayne, give it to him. And I was saying, no, it's brand new. <laughs> I just got it. And uh, I, I knew he didn't have a Bible because why would God tell me to give him one? I asked him, I said, do you have a, a Bible? He said, no. I said, yeah, I figured. So I gave him that. And I was thinking to myself, now, Lord, you owe me one brand new leather. And by the way, I got it when I came to this church through Brother Ed came one day and gave me one of those. Well, we landed, and when we got off, he got off in front of me. I'm the kind that flies to Houston and finds out that the revival was really in Dallas. You know me pretty well by now. And I couldn't find my party. And I went all the way down to the ticket, and I said, oh, no, what have I done? Maybe it's the wrong week. You know, these things really go through your mind. And I walked back to the satellite area, and there stood old David. David Haig was his name. And he said, uh, Wayne, I said, what you doing here, David? You got off for me. He said, man, I'm so excited. And he put his arms around mine. He said, shook me. He said, I, I've never seen it like I saw it today. I've been looking for my peace in the wrong place. It was in the Lord Jesus Christ. And he said, Wayne, when I got off, I left my briefcase and all that stuff on the plane. I couldn't help but think of that little old woman that came down at the, at the well of Samaria when she left her bucket there and went back to get her family. She found what she was looking for. And you see, a person, until he has the peace with God, he does not have peace. Oh, you may be at ease. You may be able to sleep well at night. Jonah slept real well in the bottom of the boat, but he was out of God's will. Peace is that inward relationship with our Lord Jesus Christ. When man and God have been joined together and are working in cooperation with one another. That's what peace is. There's two kinds of temporal peace that you see the world talk about. One is peace from around. Everybody's looking for peace from around them. That's their friends. You ever notice how people do this? And they travel in groups. We find it sometimes in churches, and that's sad. But they travel in groups. They tend to be isolating themselves from anybody else. And they only want people in that group that will do for them what they want done for them. That's peace to them. Oh, no. Friend, that's not peace. But some people think it is. Some people don't look from it around. They look from it beneath. They look for that peace beneath. That's those things they can stand on for security. That's possessions and materialism and things like this. Oh, no. The only real peace that a man ever has, the only time God ever speaks of peace, is that peace between man and God when they're united once again in purpose and in cooperation with one another. Now, I want you to share something about God's peace. It'll a lot of, It may help answer some questions in your life. God's peace automatically declares war on the world. Now, when you have peace made with God, you're joined to Him, you can no longer be of the world. For now, you're of the Word. The Word and the world are directly in contrast to one another. Look with me in Matthew chapter 10. This may help you understand your own family in situations that may be arise, arising in your life daily. Matthew chapter 10, verse 34 through verse 36. Look what it says. Now, this is interesting. If you don't understand the peace he's speaking of, you can't understand this context. Verse 34, Jesus said, Think not that I am come to send peace on earth. I came not to send peace, but a sword. For I am come to set a man at variance against his father, and the daughter against her mother, and the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's foes shall be they of his own household. Let me ask you a question tonight. If you have seen this in your family, maybe not immediate, but somehow in your family, an antagonism that has come to you when peace has been made with God. You see, we think with peace with God, we're going to have peace with the world. Oh no! When you're at peace with God, you're at war with the world. And you must understand, if you've ever had this in your family, you've come against strong attack 
from family. I want you to raise your hand tonight if you understand this verse. Thank you. I have too. And I'll tell you what, friend, we need to understand what peace is so we can understand the situations that sometimes evolve because of us having made peace with God. The sword of God's Word cuts deep into the hearts of those who are not at peace with God. Look in chapter 10 and verse 16 through 18. Let's go back a little few verses. It says, Behold, I send you forth as a sheep, as sheep in the midst of wolves. Be ye therefore wise as serpents and harmless as doves. But beware of men, for they will deliver you up to the councils and they will scourge you in their synagogues. And ye shall be thought or brought before governors and kings for my sake, for a testimony against them and the Gentiles. And then look down in verse 21. It says, And the brother shall deliver up the brother to death, and the father the child, and the children shall rise up against their parents and cause them to be put to death. And ye shall be hated of all men for my name's sake. Notice for my name's sake. That's tagged into every beatitude. You cannot understand the laws of discipleship unless you understand for my sake. When you're pure at heart, for my sake. When you're meek, for my sake. Then you can understand what he's saying. It says, but he that endureth to the end shall be saved. Because, because we have peace with God, we automatically see war. Now you know the examples. We could give hundreds of them tonight. Of families that have been divided because one family member found peace with God. The lifestyle changed. The values changed. The walk changed. All of a sudden there came enmity with those who one time he thought were at peace with him. But the real peace is not just harmony with individuals. It's harmony with God. That's the real peace that God speaks of on this earth. Now tomorrow, don't miss part two of this great teaching on verse-by-verse Bible study with Dr. Wayne Barber. For additional resources, log on to jashow.org. That's jashow.org. 